0: Welcome everybody. This is uh, my name's Michael from Kendo World. Eulin um, is usually does this, but um, he's having a day off today, so you've got me. Uh, today, uh, we're joined by Paul Budden from the UK. Uh, Paul's been practicing kendo for about forty years, uh, getting his shodan in nineteen eighty two, and then twenty five years later, his seventh dan in two thousand seven, and was awarded uh, kyoshi uh, in two thousand eleven. Uh, Paul founded the Kodokan Kendo Club UK in 1982 and since 1985 has been uh, uh, bringing over Hanshi Dan Sumi Masataka sensei for the Kodokan seminar. Uh, Paul's had a very long and varied kendo history, uh, was on the organising committee of the 12th World Kendo Championships in Glasgow and had many other roles within the British Kendo Federation, Participated at many events as competitor and official throughout Europe. A uh, very busy kendo life. But in addition to that, um, he's also written several books on the subject of kendo. Uh, the first was out in 1992, uh, looking at a far mountain, the study of kendo kata. Uh, he's also published three books with us at Bunkashir International Kendo World, and uh, they are A Truly British Samurai, Oshu, Kendo, Renmei, and A Man of Many Parts, which I'm sure we'll get to talk about later. Uh, his latest book, uh, Paper Butterflies, uh, came out this year. Um, so Paul Budden, uh, please welcome to KED Talks. Great to have you here.
1: Thanks very much, Mike. It's been a pleasure to be here.
0: <coughs> so, Not in a so. <laughs> no, no, not in the flesh. So are you keeping well uh, back in the UK? Yeah.
1: yeah, it's great. Every day is like Sunday, so it's cool. Um It's just that uh, if you want to go out anywhere, there's nowhere to go. But anyway, we'll get over <laughs> it, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, as I uh, mentioned in your little intro before, um, apart from your, your kendo experience, which has obviously been very long, you've also found a lot of time to be writing some books so your first one uh was out in 1992 um uh looking at a far mountain so what uh what made you decide to take on writing a book back then um
1: 82 i i been doing kendall for about in a couple of years then i think just about and uh I was training with Terry Hultense in Momeishi, uh, and uh, he, he taught me everything he knew, which was great. But there were some big gaps in in the kata, and we couldn't find anybody at that time. And of course, um, Alex Alex's book wasn't helped by that time either. So um, there was only a, a book by uh, Michael Finn, uh, which was fairly basic, and, uh, and there a Zenken book, which again was quite basic. So I was just making notes and writing down everything and asking lots of teachers. When I met Sumi-sensei and other teachers, Shiori-sensei, I, I asked them all questions about Kata and wrote it down. And then I met a, a, a sensei from Kawasaki, um, Goro Taki sensei who didn't have any grade, but he was a very, very high-level teacher. And we got very friendly. Um, and he said to me, why don't, you, why don't you put it in a book because it might help people? And so and so that's what we did. We, we put it together, um, did a limited run on it of thirteen hundred copies. Um and it's quite quite amazing because now they can they can go for a thousand pounds. Have you got hold of a few copies then? Yeah, the collector's item. Not, not for the content. I mean it's, <laughs> it's purely for the limited runner thing, you know. But oh, uh yeah. it, it, it was good, but it, it it's kind of interesting when you when you start to research um and it was all hard hard research at that time. Obviously, as I say, by, by personal recollection, there was no internet or anything to, to whiz into. Um, so it was, uh, was kind of hard, um, but it, it was interesting. I've always been interested in history anyway, when I was at school and when I was at college, I, I, I did history. And uh, it, it was just good, good fun and, and finding out things that people don't know is always a buzz. So it, it, was a, it was a bit of a hard slog, that first one. But, um, uh, and then again, I went to sleep for a few years after that. I never, I didn't bother. It was a, it was a lot of hard work. Um, but it's interesting because you, I think you find uh, that you learn more uh, after writing the book. Uh, writing a book can open lots of doors. It, it can, you get things popping up all the time. You know, especially now, um, as you know, we do this Facebook group, Friends like End of Arcanda History, which is very easy because it's lots of stuff on the internet you can find. You're not, you've know, got to know where to look. But things pop up all the time, um, which which is great.
0: Yeah. So roughly how, how long did it take you to do that book?
1: Um, okay, so I started... Let's have a look. Um, I started that in in nineteen eighty two I started formulating. so it took me ten years to get it to get it out published.
0: Wow.
1: Um, but it, then again, the process was was different because everything had to be done on plates. everything was plate print, so it, that took in itself about two years, I think, to get organized. Uh, and it was kind of funny because uh, there was a there's a, somebody might remember a guy called Brian Kay. He, he uh, was from Glasgow, he, he's, he passed away a few years now, but he ran the Ekoku News Digest in London, Japanese newspaper, and he did all the, the photographs for me, and, and he said to me, you know, he said, he said, forget about writing a book, he said, just publish the photographs. He said that they'll sell without any problem. Yeah. Anyway, we did the book and that was it, yeah.
0: So, yeah. You, so that came out in uh, 1992, and then you said you, yeah. you had a, a break for quite a while. That was the, the next thing you did was the, the profile in uh, Hugh Cortazzi book of, uh, was it the three ages of British Kendo? Was that the next uh,
1: thing? No, there was, an I did another uh, another techie book, which is uh, kind of, uh, was, was published in a bit of a rush. It uh, was the um, the book on Onaha, um, Devil's oh, Gloves. Devil's,
0: devil's Gloves and the One cut that one, wasn't it? Right. That one.
1: Yeah, um, and it's kind of like I'd like to go back on it at some stage and do it because it was it was put out in a bit of a rush and was not really that happy with it. But it, but it still sells, and uh, yeah, it was kind of based on the same format as we'd done with with, with Far Mountain, just a few selected forms from the from the UNR. But uh, uh, again, that was interesting because the whole process had changed. We you know to to actually um, print a book digitally it was a lot easier. Um, but as I say, I, th- I think I, it's still a work in progress for me, really, that one.
0: So right, right.
1: When I get a spare 10 years or something, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that yeah. you mentioned about the difference in the, the technology between between then and now. Like um, a couple of years ago, we put out Hirakawa Sensei's book, and then I went to his house and got given a, a bag of negatives, of actual celluloid negatives. and Yeah. I was just don't know how on earth, I mean, there's thousands. Yeah. of in, in the book, in the end, there are 1,300 photos in that book. And then the negatives, the original ones, would have been so many more than that. But then having to yeah. go through each one, looking in a tiny little frame, picking, circling which ones you want. And then a lot of yeah. the negatives weren't, weren't able to be used. They were so old and scuffed. And so we did, uh, we had to spend several days reshooting everything. On digital that's so much easier now yeah. to work yeah, yeah. with so I, yeah. I can imagine what uh a...
1: well Far, Far Mountain was the same we had a photographer there and he, he took over 3,000 stills and then we had to sort through and, and and again and again we were doing cut and pastes but in the old-fashioned way we we're actually cutting out the pictures and sticking them together for the, for the preparation for the book Oh wow! Uh, We've got, got a big box somewhere full of full of this stuff,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah technology has definitely made things. Uh, I, I suppose I came yeah. into this in in around two thousand four or five with Kendo World, so it was already digitised and on computer yeah. by then. But
1: yeah, it's the same. It's the same with the researchers um, because, as I say, once once the internet burst on the scene, um, I did some genealogical research on my family, and it, it was just so much easier. To be able to, to do, I, I've done the hard slog as well. I've, I've been to records offices and gone through everything, but to be able to do it at a touch of, of your fingers is, is, is quite amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find that now, as I say, with the research that we did for, for the other books, more recent books, mm-hmm. it, it was a lot easier to, to find stuff. It's just knowing where to look. Right, right. No, but it seems to work.
0: Okay, so the the first book that you did with us was um, a truly British samurai, the exceptional Charles Boxer. Uh, oh, great! What a salesman there. You got a great copy for you there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what what interested you in that character? Why uh, Why did you decide to to devote a lot of uh, time to researching okay. so, him?
1: Um, I got, Boxer got flagged up to me by, by Roald Knudsen. Oh, we were out with Roald Knudsen one day and he, and he mentioned this guy called Charles Boxer who I'd never heard of. And he said, oh yeah, he did Kendo in uh, a long time ago. And one of his students, a guy called um, uh, Phillips, um, had met him and done an interview with him over a, about three bottles of scotch. And uh, he came over as something quite interesting. There was nothing about him. Uh, apart from when I went on online on the internet, of course, everything burst out about him, about his uh, his life. Uh, he was an academic, um, not qualified, but he he wrote uh, several books on on Portuguese history. He was an expert, um, and he was uh, at the um, SOAS, and um, uh, I think it was Harvard. He was a professor there. This was after after his career, but he originally he was a soldier, uh, and he went to Japan in 1931. So. I started to research and I'd say all of that stuff was, was, was fairly well documented about his, his affair with uh, Emily Hahn, his marriage, um, about him being in Hong Kong, that he was a spy. All of that's fairly well documented. But what wasn't documented was his, was his kendo history. Um, and I had done previously to that, I'd done listening with you in, in the magazine, and uh, Liston again was was fairly easy because I was given an invite to, into the family and then found documentation within the family. And the same thing happened with um, with Boxer. I, I contacted his daughter Amanda Boxer, who um, Alex very, very nicely pointed out was was very famous for play in uh, Saving Private Ryan. She's a uh, She's Private Ryan's mum.
0: <laughs> oh, in that that's movie. right. When the telegrams come to the house to say that her three, her three, yeah, yeah, died. Yeah. Oh, that's right.
1: Well, she, yeah. she was, uh, she was, she was around in the sixties and seventies. She was on a, a big series called The Pharaohs, and uh, for that production, she shaved her head, which was really, really strange at that time for a woman to do that. But she was, she was quite a stunner as well uh, around that period. Anyway, we got in touch. And uh, she was not very happy to, to start with. She she had got some very very bad publicity when her father died. Um, some people started to attack him, saying he had been a collaborator in the Second World War with the Japanese in Hong Kong. And of course, being dead, he was not there to to defend himself. Um, but several people did, and they had to retract all of the all of the statements that were made because they were totally not founded. So. Um, we met, um, and we got on quite well. We went to see her in a few plays, myself and Kazuo. It was quite, quite nice. And then we visited her at a house and we were looking for photographs. And then we, we found these amazing photographs uh, of him, uh, in Nada, 1931. Um, and then she opened a box and pulled out and there was his, his kimono, his kimono and hakamo and, uh, she ended up saying, "Well, you keep them, <laughs> look after them for me, you know." So we've still got his uh, kimono and hakama, but it was it was amazing because then, then again, she kind of unfolded the fact that he had uh, in 1931 he had been given a housekeeper <laughs> for, for for not not just housekeeping but lots of other stuff too, and he had lived basically as, as a Japanese man uh, with the military because he was. Um, uh, seconded to the infantry I think it was to uh, as a language officer um, and at that time he also started to research Portuguese history um, quite seriously um, and he wrote his first paper while he was in Japan on on swords I think he might have seen it um, so he, he that part became very interesting for me to to find out about him um, and then when we went to Nara, we had a little walk around the area where it, where it lived and, uh, of course, the uh, uh, Botokokai has moved. Um, that was gone from where, where it had been, where the, where the pictures were taken in Nara. But uh, overall, the whole process was w- was really good and putting it all together with the other stuff that was, was already out there, it, it gave it a, a nice feel. Uh, Unfortunately, as he was shot in Hong Kong, uh, injured and became prisoner of war, never practiced kendo again. Um, But um, Steve Phillips said to me that in his greenhouse, he still had his kendo armor. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, he still... uh, And shinai and stuff, uh, we don't know what happened to it. I mean, all we got, um, as I say, was the kimono and hakama. uh, And he, he did like it a lot, but he was more interested in... In the conversation that Steve Phillips had with him, was telling him about the the uh, the exploits of throwing people through windows on the military's night out in Nada or you know, getting drunk or, or whatever you know. He's an interesting guy because he's uh, he is uh, for me the real kind of James Bond. He he, he was a spy. Um, he did he did do kendo to a, a reasonable level of the time and, and especially for a Brit. Um, so yeah i enjoyed the, that very much it, i think writing books has to be about enjoy, enjoyment as well um it's probably the research i think that that i really like
0: did did he take any gradings or anything like that while he was in japan uh, yes he yeah he did he he um
1: he he was training with uh, at the sasaboro takanos dojo and he's he's got is in the book um We've, we've got his shodan uh, and his need-and certificates. Uh, they're actually in the book.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah. So we I mean, had this discussion with Nagao-sensei about, about the level of gradings um, in those days. His level would have been probably uh, a lot higher than, than saying second dan now um, mm-hmm. because it only went up to fifth dan. So it was, was was quite something, I think, for, for him to do that. And he was quite a resilient character. I mean, he he was in a school of hard knocks, and they used to beat the can I say they beat the crap out of him. Basically, um, uh, there's some some interesting recollections. And and it's, it was what was really another thing that popped up was all all of a sudden there was Kozo Takizawa Sensei in there, uh, kind of looking after him and the other uh, foreigners there training in the dojo. Mm. Uh, which is something that he then carried forward right up into into the 60s because he was uh, uh, looking after kind of uh, the development of kendo in the UK and Europe. And
0: He's a well-known figure in uh, UK kendo as well, isn't he, Tagizawa Sensei? Ko-
1: Kozo Sensei, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and also Ozawa Sensei's father as well he, he was also here and, and other places, America and, and mm. uh, Europe, yeah, so, yeah.
0: So after the war, um, Charles Boxer, he, he did no know Kendo at all after the war? No, he, he,
1: he was invalided out of the, um, out of the army. Um, and as I say, he, was a, he had no academic qualifications, but he was um, the expert on Portuguese history. history. So he ended up uh, getting a job at King's College, firstly, um, as, as the, Ameri- as the um, what do they call it now? He, he was a professor in charge of Portuguese history. Um, and that's all he did after that. He, he, he wrote, his writing was phenomenal. Um, I, I think it's something like 300 works he actually published and not only in English, but in Portuguese and Dutch as well. So he was prolific, uh, on that side and everything was done on a typewriter. There was not, no internet then for him. So he's, he's, he's quite an amazing
0: guy. From something that you wrote in the book, well, I seem to remember he seemed a very kind of stoic type of guy. He he, it, like you say, his arm was um, he lost the use of his arm after being a, a, a POW. Yeah, but never, never. Like, I remember one of the, the stories. I think it was his daughter discussing in the book where often they would hear like crashes of teacups around yeah. the house and swearing, but he never he never complained or asked for help or anything. no.
1: Um, I think that. I'd, you know, if, if we look at um, people in general, um that you're born with your character. I think, uh, and sometimes I, I get a bit cross when people say, "Oh, uh, uh, people who do kendo, they're really honest and and uh, they're very straightforward people," and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think that that you need to have the character be- before that. You know, I think kendo can maybe help, but it, it certainly can't can't change you that dramatically because there are lots of bad people who do Kendo too, probably some still around. Um, but his character, I think being in solitary confinement for, uh, was it three years? I think it was in, in, uh, Hong Kong. Uh, he was, uh, he was quite well looked after when he, when they first, um, became a prisoner of war because he was an expert on Japanese history and spoke Japanese fluently. And, um, he knew more about their culture than they did probably, and they had to give him the respect. So he got fairly well treated to start with, but then he got involved in some kind of a, uh, a conspiracy to make a radio and listen to, to broadcasts. So he, got, he was going to get beheaded at one stage, but they locked him up for three years. And I think that at that time, that must have actually done something to his character, to, to, to be able to survive that with injury. Uh, and only a copy of uh, Marcus Aurelius for reading. It must have done something. <laughs> it really must.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So um, after you had, had written the the boxer book, um, yeah. you did. It started originally as a as a, an, a couple of articles in Kenderworld World about um, R. A. Lidstone. Yes, uh, He yeah. was a fascinating character as well. With. Um, didn't he serve on a, on the, in on on a battleship in the Jutland War? Is that correct? yes? In the, in he the First was, World War, yeah,
1: yeah, he he had been uh, um in the naval academy from a very early age, like fifteen or something. So, yeah, he he also. I mean, the, it's it's interesting because the um, the twentieth century seems to have thrown up uh, lots of individuals with the, the, that are quite exceptional. You know, you look at like Hemingway and. Uh, and people like that. And even Boxer's wife, Emily Hahn, as a writer um, uh, and Boxer himself. And then Litson is is again kind of in, in that kind of uh, uh, setting because uh, he was in the Navy in the First World War. Uh, he became a, an established music hall artist with, with the strong arm dancing technique, Adagio dancing technique with his, with his wife. Um, they went to Australia and New Zealand. Uh, that came back. He became a fighter ranger, uh, and then in the Second World War, he was uh, um, conscripted into the into the RAF, uh, not to fly, but uh, as uh, in charge of the American air bases in the UK. So he, he's got quite a quite a varied history, uh, and it was it was kind of um, it was again Terry Holder that, that kind of pushed that one on me um, because everyone was always talking about Lidston and the, and the Lidston Taikai at the Nenriki where they bring his armor out and stick it up, but nobody actually knew anything about him. It was, oh, he died in an Nenriki in uh, in this year. And uh, there are probably still a few people that, that do remember him, um, but the majority of people knew nothing. And even Terry uh, who had practiced at the Nenriki with Lidston uh, didn't know where he first saw um, Kendo. He said, oh, I think uh, Liston is supposed to have seen a Kendo in Australia, but it, w- it was actually in New Zealand uh, that he first saw the, the Kendo. Uh, and then after going off to Australia and coming back, um he he started with the Kaoru Mishiku Sensei in London, 1931, which which is exactly the same time as Lit- as uh, as Boxer started in Japan. So the two started more or less at the same time, but in mm-hmm. different um, and there's always this uh, kind of um, uh, discussion goes on about, or well, did they actually meet? Uh, and I was told that, yes, they did meet. They met at the Budokwai. Um, and uh, the two clubs were, 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 where kendo was taught in the UK in the, in the very early days, the Budokwai starting, and uh, the Anglo-Japanese Judo Society with Karo Mishiku Sensei. They, they were the guys doing the kendo uh, and teaching it.
0: Because at that time in the uk it was it was there weren't really any dedicated kendo clubs that was all part of judo clubs uh, it was
1: yeah i mean it's bef- again it's before the the term martial arts would be would, would have been used but they were practicing uh the buddha they would do all kinds of stuff i mean they would do lectures on on, on uh on, on kiai they would do uh, lectures on on a uh, japanese art they had they had um uh d- displays in actually in the uh in the building, which was at the back of the Buckingham Palace. Um, they had a, a downstairs dojo there in the basement and they would have exhibitions and stuff there. There were, there was lots of stuff going on. Koizumi sensei, who started the judo in the UK, um, taught, taught Kendo there. Uh, and again, that was another buzz I got because um, I could never find any pictures of him wearing armour. Uh, and then about two years ago, uh, all of a sudden, a picture pops up with him wearing his, wearing his bhogu. So it was like, wow, there he is, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they're, 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 those were the places that that, that started uh, uh, the kendo, and it was being practiced alongside
0: judo. So then yeah. uh, Lidstone was training in that dojo after the war in the UK? Uh, no, he... Uh, he's, up
1: until the Second World War, he trained with Michiko Sensei. And, and as we know, um, in his book, there's a picture of the um, the display given to um, Prince Chichibu in Hurlingham in Chelsea, the uh, the demonstration. I'll find it in a minute. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I think, yeah, this is... Uh, the picture of the Hurlingham display, and it was half Japanese, half uh, half half Brits in there. Uh, Lidston is listed, and so is Koizumi, and so is Mishiku, and, uh, and it's some other Kujitani who, who I mentioned in in uh, in Lidston's book, Okamoto as well. they were listed as doing this this uh, display for the, for the Prince, and they wore biscuits on their armor. Biscuits. And uh, you were dead if the, if the biscuits were broken. And it was so, it was so frenzied, apparently, that the, the referees had to drag people out to tell them they were beaten, basically. <laughs> uh, so that was really something. And, and he practiced uh, uh, with uh, the Anglo-Japanese up until the Second World War, and then he stopped. And I, it's, I think his, his uh, practice was fairly intermittent anyway, because he was very busy working as, as a fight arranger.
0: One of the fantastic photos from the book is him. Uh, I th- I'm not sure if it was for Robin Hood, uh, but he's uh, had teaching someone uh, teaching someone how to use a sword. Errol Flynn, I believe. Yeah, is Errol that from Flynn. Robin Hood? Or was that for a different uh, uh,
1: Richard Green, he taught, it was Robin Hood, on the TV back in the, back right. in the 60s. Um, he taught Errol Flynn, of course, and also... Um, Robert Taylor was another big star of American movies. So yeah, he was teaching uh, people to fence because he was a member of the Royal Academy of Fencers. He is uh, associated with um, with that period. Um, we've got Egerton Castle, who was a very famous fencer of that period. He wanted to bring back dueling. Um, <laughs> it was quite must have been quite hairy because people. Uh, it's around the same time as a, as a Bartitsu was happening. So, um, yeah, it was it was pretty rough in London, I guess, <laughs> around that period. So people mm-hmm. needed to defend themselves. So, yeah.
0: So, yeah, he was a very, a very interesting character, Liz. So It seems to be kind of a lot of... You, you come across people that uh, around that time, many different skills and many different interests.
1: Yeah, yeah. I say it was, it was fair. They were famous as, as the dancers, but, um, the, um, fame in, 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 those days didn't actually have money going with it. So they were always struggling for money. they, uh, when they went off to New Zealand, they struggled and he ended up teaching fencing there. And in, in uh, Australia too, having a fencing school and she was teaching dancing. And it wasn't until they got, a, um, some money left to them by an auntie who passed away that they were able to come back to the UK. And, uh, even when he was uh, he was doing big parts as well in movies himself and and teaching at the at the, at the old Vic he taught stage people as well how to fence and then he set up this um organization of, of fighter rangers and uh, but he was always struggling for money they were never well off so. uh, and it wasn 't until fifty seven um, when Knudsen discovered the three armors uh, in the anglo <laughs> Uh, Japanese Judo Society, or the, or the London Judo Club, as it was called, and started to practice Kendo. That he got in touch with uh, with Lidston and, and kind of dragged him back into into Kendo. But he was a, he was a, he was a perfect gentleman, um, and he he held the, the the British Kendo Association together in the early years for sure. It was because people respected him uh, as kind of the grandfather of uh, of Kendall in the UK, for sure.
0: So for, for people that don't know about him, what, what exactly is the Lidstone Taikai? Uh,
1: the Lidstone Taikai is a memorial competition um, for him, uh, and it's for Q grades. And it happens every year at an Enrique. Uh, obviously not this year, but every year. It's been going on for... Not not since he passed away, but from a, a short period after that, they started to to have this competition called an Enrique Taikai.
0: But only only for Q grades, not put no, grade.
1: yeah yeah no, no 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 downgrades in there no.
0: Roughly how yeah. many people participate in that in that competition? Um, I don't know. I mean, I,
1: when I did, I did it back in 80, 81 or 82. I think it must have been about. Must oh, be good. Thirty people there. 30, 40 people can can attend. It depends, you know, on the on the numbers. Um, but yeah.
0: Okay. So you yeah. said your your kendo history goes back to. I know you got your shodan in 1982. So yeah. Since, since then, in your obviously a kendo career of around 40 years now, um, who who has been some of the the big influences on your on your kendo life since then?
1: Um, initially with, uh, with Terry Hall, Holt sensei was my, was my first teacher. Um, and then meeting Goro Otaki in, in, uh, in Japan in, in 83 was, was a big influence on me. As I say, he didn't have any, any, uh, any grade. He was, he was, until I found out later, he he had a Menkyu Kaidan and he'd been taught by, by, uh, by Nakayama Hiromichi, Nakayama Hakudo had taught him. Uh, and he was quite something to watch, a lot of pressure, real old-style kendo, but very interesting man because he, he had his business in Kawasaki. He was uh, into commodities, um, and they also had hotels, I believe, the family. And his father had been sent to America for his education in, in the major period, so it was quite something. He, he spoke English, he could read Greek, he could read Russia, um, and was a real kind of... Uh, philosopher of life he, he was uh, he, he said always a student I'm not a teacher I'm always a student um so we got on very well and uh, he was a big influence on 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 my thinking not not so much on my kendo mm-hmm. because it was uh, uh, something different to to what I would, was being taught um and then going to Kitamoto uh, um I experienced Japanese kendo for the first time perhaps in uh, because in UK, we, I didn't see a Japanese teacher, actually, for about three years. There was not anybody around. Um, but after Kitamoto, then uh, we started to have a, a, a group in the a, in, in a Thames Valley area called the Thames Valley Kyokai. We had six dojos together, and we would practice, and uh, there was a teacher... Um, Uh, from Nanzan University, um, Shoji Enemoto was was doing a sabbatical in in UK on on European Budo. He was studying, and I helped him with that a little bit on the research about fencing and stuff. And he would come and support us in this group of of six dojos. Um, And then we went over, I organized, I was working in Paris in my business for about 25 years, three times a year, and I used to practice in the dojos in Paris. And uh, I set up a... um, a visit to Maison Lafitte dojo uh, outside of Paris with uh, Jean-Claude Tuvy, and uh, we we took a group of, of um, uh, from the Thames Valley Kyokai for for a weekend visit for for practice and for socializing and etc. All, all, all on a train and the boat, no no cars or anything. It was uh, was was quite nice having to navigate through the metro of Paris, but uh, I, I'd done that a few times anyway, so it was okay. Um, And there on the Saturday morning in the Budo Ons, I saw from the corner of my eye uh, this person walk into the dojo and I I looked and I thought, wow, that is a sensei, just just by the way that he walked in. And he he sat down and he put his armor on and I I was the first person to practice with him and that was Sumi-sensei. And so that was the start of the relationship um, he was there in, in paris uh, in france as a representative from the zenken the the, the expert as they call him in france for about 6 months with his family his wife and two two boys and we we met afterwards and, and terry and myself and uh, we discussed and uh, we invited him to come to london to uh, because what happened in the summer in in, in in France is everybody's on holiday, and they were kind of at a loose end. What to do with the with their expert? So we said, okay, we'll take him for 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 weekend, long weekend, and he came over. And uh, I would started running the um, the Kodokan seminar in uh, about two years before eighty six with the Matsumoto Junpei from from Kyoto. He's eighty five or eighty six. I um, kind of lost a year somewhere. Uh, And then Matsumoto-sensei came over 87 for the second year. And then in 88, Enomoto-sensei ran it for us because he was still in the UK. And then I asked Sumi-sensei, could you come and uh, run the seminar? And he said, yeah, fine. So that was 89. And uh, this year should have been uh, the 33rd year of the seminar. So Sumi-sensei has been coming to the seminar for over 30 years. So it's had a little bit of an effect on me. <laughs> in how, important,
0: how important has uh, Sumi Sensei been? Well, obviously not not just to yourself, but to Kendo in Britain in, in the bigger
1: picture uh, I think that through the Kodokan seminar, many, many, many people have been exposed to his uh, teaching, um, not just in, in UK, but in Europe as well. I mean, lots of people who are, you come from Sweden and Switzerland and France, Belgium, come to the Kodokan seminar to to be able to train with him it's a, it's a kind of a unique environment because you can um the original idea i i took from kitamoto was that i want i wanted to have a seminar where you eat sleep and and fall down and uh, get drunk and get up and play kendo all together uh, and and that's what what we started with the kodokan it became the first residential seminar for for that so you could be sitting next to Sumi-sensei, talking to him one-to-one, which is probably quite unique because it doesn't always happen in Japan like that. Um, I think we're very fortunate in the UK to have this kind of exposure with high-level teachers. Uh, Ozawa-sensei is another one that's been coming to the UK for more than 20 years. Mm. So, again, you can socialize and, and meet. And then Sumi-sensei started to bring some, some friends with him, Tashiro-sensei. Kumamoto-sensei, also from Kyushu. Uh, and then other senseis wanted to come as well. So we can end up with like uh, seven or eight senseis on this seminar. Um, Nagao-sensei also has been there uh, come. Uegaki-sensei, uh, Mori-sensei, they will all come to the seminar. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a great event for us to be having that exposure.
0: Right, right. So yeah. you, you mentioned a couple of times that you, you wanted to make um, your seminar kind of like the Kitamoto seminar, which yeah. I you understand you've, you've taken part in Kitamoto, is it two or three times? I Twice. Think? Twice. Twice. Twice, so, yeah. um, It's something that Gabriel spoke about when we, we talked to him last week about how back in the early days, um, Kitamoto was like a hell two weeks <laughs> um, but now, now i think it's eight days now i think yeah um so what, what were your experiences yeah. that was in the early 80s that you you went to that what, what was yeah. it like then um it was
1: the first one it was i don't know about 60 people i think on the first one 83 um it was it was a kind of yeah hell uh, heaven and hell <laughs> it was it was great i mean the hospitality was fantastic the I think we had at least three parties there uh, that were official, never mind what was going on uh, <laughs> out in the bars and and uh, in the Kitamoto town. Um I mean Gabriel took, I mean we we had a great time. It it was really quite something. And it was a camaraderie and it, and it was fun. Uh, sleeping in the dormitory, I remember there was um uh there were some guys from Hong Kong and one of them was a real, real snorer. And uh one of the Swiss guys said to him, he said, if, if you snore tonight, I'm going to cut your throat. And he didn't know whether to believe whether he was joking or what. Anyway, he did start to snore. So we picked him up in his futon and moved him out into the corridor. And uh, it was kind of stuff like that was going on, you know. <laughs> and uh, that first year we had uh, part of the... Um, because it's everything, it's lectures and and uh, I don't know whether they still do it, but you have lectures and we had visits to museums and there was all kinds of stuff going on in the, in the original ones. And, um, uh, well, I lost my place now. Um, yeah, there was, uh, all kinds of stuff happening. Um, so Gabriel and I set up a, a good friendship at that time. I think there was a very nice picture because it was. Uh, I think Gabriel was living in Argentina at the time and uh, there's a picture of both of us blowing our nose on each other's flag. So it was, you can imagine the kind of stuff that was going on.
0: Oh dear, around around in the early 80s, I guess that was, uh, that was a bit of a touchy time between our two nations, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But it was good. it was all good fun. It was nothing like that. I mean, you know... Um, uh, politics and all that stuff was, uh, you, you were there to do kendo. Um, uh, and as I say, the parties were great. Uh, the practice was, was hard. Um, the worst part about it was for me was that, um, uh, I was in a group where you had, they took us in a little minibus down the road to a school because they didn't have the full facility there at that time. Uh, some people stayed in the, in the old dojo there and some people had to go to the school and, uh, uh, Next to the school uh, was a swimming pool, so you can imagine in uh, when was it July August time how hot it was, and we're doing a going in the dojo, and all the kids are splashing about in the pool, so it was like a mental torture. And then when you went to the toilet, you could look out of the window and you could see the rice fields blowing in the, in in the sunshine, and it was like where would I rather be? <laughs> but you had to go back and do the practice, so you know. And you'll be standing there, and there'll be a pool of water. Uh, there's no aircon in this dojo. It was,
0: that, that's you know. what, uh, yeah. A, a, a few people I've spoken to about the old days of the Kitamoto seminar. Yeah. I think Gabriel mentioned it as well. Is that when I think the last time he went was in two thousand eight seven something like that. That yeah. the new dojo that they use is actually air conditioned, which is uh, yeah. Yeah. Even the, the new Noma dojo that I'm a member of as well is air conditioned it's <laughs> oh, right. just yeah. Fantastic.
1: fantastic. Yeah. I, I can remember we, we had, a, I don't know if it was 83 or 84, we had a, a, a lecture, a sword lecture, somebody from Tokyo Museum, a British guy came down, was he, no, it he was a Swedish guy, came down to give a lecture on swords, and we were on the top floor, um, and the air conditioning bro- had, had broken, and you couldn't switch it off, so we ended up opening the windows to try and <laughs> to get some heat into the room. <laughs> it was quite... Uh,
0: like something. So I, ma- I imagine those type of hard hard trainings back in Kitamoto and them days have had uh, a pretty would have been a, a formative experience. Yeah, was, you you know, you lots of
1: people collapsed lots of people collapsed during the training um, but I think uh, from what Terry told me, uh, he was at the one in Katsura and that was even worse. Oh really? Uh, I believe so. He said something about about um, a sand dune or a hill outside of uh, the dojo and they had to run up it or something
0: was that the Nippon Burokan Kenshu Center?
1: I, no, I don't there? know. I just remember him saying that people were collapsing oh, okay. as well there. So,
0: <laughs> so yeah. I'm I'm actually obviously as, as many people can probably tell from my perfect diction and great accent that I'm also from uh, from England. Uh, but my, my kind of experience has all been through um, starting in Japan back in 2003. But one thing that, that happened quite a lot when I first started and got to know people here is. At several times I was asked oh do you know Paul Budden's book um looking at a far mountain <laughs> but then also what, what people w- would ask me as well as oh do you know Terry Holt do you know Terry Holt and loads of different yeah. people so someone that you've mentioned quite a few times so far this evening so how how important was he on your uh, on your kendo journey
1: uh Terry was uh wasn't I mean he was my first teacher but he was my my very dear friend um and uh we worked together he was um a, 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 an electrician great technical guy He'd fix he fixed anything he always had the engine out of his car um working with his son david on it or anything to do with mechanics or or, or electrical Terry could fix it he really could um so we, we worked together we he, he helped me on exhibitions we we worked in germany came to germany with me a few times um and we did stuff in the UK, so it was more than just a kendo teacher, and it, and it was a kind of a love hate relationship. It, we 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 would have the most blinding arguments, um, but in 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 five minutes it would be forgotten. You know that was a real friendship. Um, it, there was no animosity between us. Nothing was ever carried forward. That you know, if we did have an argument, mm-hmm. um, so-, so yeah.
0: I mean, he's a well-known character here in Japan. And I think when yeah. Mumeshi Dojo had its 40th anniversary, there was a big delegation yeah. came yeah, over yeah. Yeah. to Japan. So um, obviously, uh, his, um, from, I only met him twice, when I, two times yeah. when I've been back to England. I took my Bogu and, and was yeah. able to train at because it's right by... Heathrow Airport. Heathrow, so it was. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd land the next, stay in some hotel nearby, and then, and then the next day I would go there. So yeah. he, his, his most of his experience was from learning kendo in the, in the UK, right? Not, not so much in Japan in his area. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, he, um, he started, I think, at an Enrique. The Nenriki was was a dojo that, that Knudsen started. Um he he that was they used to practice in Stockwell, I think it was, um which is still there, the dojo, not the same place. There's still a um a Reme Dojo. There's a, still a split between uh Reme and the BKA basically, so not so many of the Reme Dojos left, but there's one in, in, in Stockwell, I think it is, or Vauxhall. Um and Knudsen uh then started at Enrique and then shortly after moved down to Brighton. So the Enrique was was kind of the London hub. And uh, when Terry started, I think at least he might have still been there. I think I believe it, she, he was still practising at the Enrique um, And Knudsen used to go up there occasionally from from uh, from Brighton. And then, of course, all the other people started training there, John Howell and uh, I think Jock Hobson started at the London Judo Society with Knutson and Glitzton. And then he was practicing also at, uh, at the Nenriki. So a lot of people came from the Nenriki. Uh, and then there was um, uh, a guy called Brent Casaniga from Australia, who you may know. Um, some people probably know him. He was a Mameshi member. He moved out to Australia from there. But he was running, uh, it wasn't called Mameshi. I think it was was called uh uh, the West London dojo or something. He was running uh, Heston dojo, they called it, uh, and he asked Terry to go and help him. So Terry went there, uh, and then Fuji Sensei was also around in the in that period. He was practicing at the Nenriki as well, and, and throughout other places. And he apparently named the dojo the Mumeshi dojo. So, and it was in Heston before it moved to Cranford which is where it still is now. Mm -hmm. So what what So Terry's? UK, yeah, UK. Mm. UK started, UK, everything, basically. And he was very, very (laughs) pan-British. He he could be quite a a handful if you were going in France or in Germany at that time in those early days. He was very proud to be British.
0: (laughs) What what made him such a good teacher then? Because it's just... I hear many great stories about him.
1: He just had a, a, a lot of time for people. He had a very big heart. He could, he would, he would give you time. He gave me an awful lot of time when I started. I, I was, I was still practicing Aikido at that time. And I had a, a dojo in Amisham and I started to do kendo. I used to, I went to Mameshi and I started and Terry said to me, why don't you start Kendo in Amisham at your Aikido dojo? I said, okay. So I said, you're going to come? He said, yeah. And he, and he would come every week. He would come out to Amersham and we would practice, and then we had guys coming in from from Oxford to the practice in Amersham, and then they started the Oxford dojo. So it was kind of a you know he he, he wanted to he wanted to promote Kendo big time. He, he enjoyed people's company and he enjoyed the practice. He he did enjoy having a having a bash for sure.
0: What's the name of the pub that's just down the road from the sports centre? I mean, I've only been to Mumeshi twice, but I've only been to that pub twice as well. So yeah. Um, I know the the rising star is the one whitenin I, the rising
1: star. no I, I, I don't remember what it was because originally, um there was a pub in the Mumeshi. They had a bar in the, in the sports center there for many, many years. We always went in the bar afterwards there. So it was when the bar closed down that they moved to that pub. But I, I can't, and it's a fuller spot, but I can't remember what, uh, oh. I can't remember what the name is of it. But yeah, that's their, their centre now, I think.
0: So, yeah. And of course the... But it's
1: kind of funny as well, because I don't know whether I can tell you this story or not. You can edit it out later maybe if you want to. But um, Terry knew everybody. Terry, every Japanese teacher that you mentioned, Terry knew him. Okay, that was irrespective of, of, uh, of who they were. Terry knew them, oh, I know him, he's was a friend of mine, and they're all friends of his, Terry's friends. And the big joke was uh, that one of the students said, uh, and not to Terry, but he said, you know, he probably gets a Christmas card from Kasahara Sensei still. So it was kind of like, okay, but that was Terry. He, he didn't know a lot of people for sure, you know? So, yeah.
0: So after, after the UK, you've been running dojo in Malta. Is that correct?
1: Uh, I helped it to, to, to start the kendo in Malta. I helped the de- development of kendo there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, but now you, you so you lived in Malta for a while? Or no, you- I, I didn't actually live there. Um, we, I,
1: I was going there quite a lot. Um, and, uh, we kind of, as I say, I help, helped start the Kendall, then. and Kaja also was was a national coach for the team there for some years. So I was a technical director uh, for for most of the years, and then uh, president for a couple of years there. Um, but now it's it's finished. I'm kind of getting a bit too old for travel now. So I'm not that I don't do it, but I'm still kind of, and they they need to go in a different direction now. So it's a parting of the waves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think uh, we're, yeah. we're just coming no, up. Not no, 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 those kind of ways, those kind of waves. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're just coming up on about an hour now, so I think uh, it's okay. a fascinating yeah. chat so far. Um, yeah. before, we, before we finish up, I don't know if anyone else has any questions they want to put in the chat, but uh, yeah. if not, uh, would you like uh, this opportunity to just uh, quickly promote your books that you've got?
1: I can do. Yeah. What I wanted to say was um, about research. Um, I, th- I think researching is is extremely important, um, and not just historical research, but to research uh, any aspect that that you need. Um, because I think that that um, uh, without the research, you can't progress. I, I honestly think that no matter how much physical energy you you're exerting Kendo, if you're very serious about it, um, which all of us seem to be having practiced for a number of years. And and also the duration of time doesn't, doesn't help either. I think that you need to research. And sometimes that means thinking outside of the box to, to, to look for different solutions to any problems that you've got. Um, so I think it's essential to research. Um, and again, Looking at history, we can see where things went wrong. <laughs> Whether they altered, I don't know. Uh, but it, it's still interesting to see the uh, the outcome of what happened, and is it going to happen again, or will it be kind of changed? Or you know. So yeah, but yeah, books. Uh, I've got what have we got? That one, Man of Many Parts.
0: So Man, Man of Many Parts is about. Uh, um, Lidstone, Road Alexander yeah, Lidstone. Lidstone. Uh, boxer.
1: Charles Boxer. Uh, one, Paper Butterflies. That kind of did get me started in, in a way uh, because I, um, part of the, the Kodokan seminar was also lectures. We had lectures, sports lectures, and other lectures. Uh, and I did a, a, um, a lecture on the Japanese village, 1885 in London. And that kind of got me started on researching the history in the UK. So I went I went on to that. And then uh, Sir Hugh Kortazi's book, they've got a section in there on the history of uh, UK kendo. It's uh, 10 volumes he did, Sir Kortazi, amazing, amazing writer. Uh, and then, of course, Oshu Kendo a forerunner of the European Kendo Federation. Uh, that one, if you get a copy, it's worth a grand. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's also, if anyone's got any spare copies of Looking at a Far Mountain and a Study of <laughs> the Cutter, then throw yeah. sure your quids in. Uh, if you, there's uh, also a paperback. Tuttle,
1: Tuttle uh, reissued it in a paperback. Uh, but now it's only available as a Kindle, I think, so you can't actually get that one. Devil's Gloves, okay, there's work in progress still, but it's got, a, it's got some novelty interests. Uh, the other books, of course, is uh, Lidstone's, if you can find that. That's also worth some money the first book in English on Kendo by R.A. Lidston. However, uh, this one, there was a guy called Tomio Otani uh, also teaching Kendo at the same time as Knudsen, and he wrote a Kendo section in here, and it's really good. It's far better than, dare I say, Lidston's book, Um, his understanding, because his his father was a... uh, was a, a judo teacher. It's a section on kendo there. Um, he worked with Koizumi sensei. Otani, Otani sensei is kind of, uh, very important for the introduction of, of, of children's judo in the UK. And also he wanted that, that judo in a way is to blame for the very, uh, uh, poor money that we get for, for charging for kendo in the, in the UK because he wanted to bring judo down to an affordable price. So you could you could practice for like 10p or something, you know. Yeah, so he's used to blame for everything. But but great book, Tommy Otani's book. Yeah. Okay. okay.
0: Great. Yeah. We've had uh, several people listening into this uh, conversation, so thanks very much to our patrons yeah. for doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, uh, yeah, thank you uh, very much for taking the time to speak to us. It's uh, no for us in Japan. It's uh, about our bedtime now. I think uh, <laughs> Alex needs to go what? to bed and catch up on his beauty sleep, which uh, All right. was obviously yeah. going to need you, to be quite a mean Alex
1: still there? He hasn't collapsed then from too much beer. I
2: <laughs> know, oh, mate. No, I've been uh, <laughs> um, uh, entranced by the, the stuff you've been talking about. It's been really great. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, there's actually so much more that I wanted to... Um, Throw your way. Um, um, I think we're going to have to do another one, don't you, Michael?
0: Yeah, we can definitely do that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really wanted to know more about uh, Terry Holt uh, as a person. <laughs> yeah, and I also wanted to know a, a little bit more graphic detail of your time in Kitamoto, and also, <laughs> you know, what what are the things that are primarily. Uh, inhibiting uh, the dissemination of uh, something like Kendo, Kendo culture in uh, your cultural. Malou of, 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 the UK and, and, and elsewhere. And, you know, what, what, what works, what doesn't work. You've, you've, uh, you know, I mean, you've spent decades teaching it. You've seen a high turnover of students. What is it that keeps students there and what, um, you know, uh, why do they leave and, you know, how can you make a success of it in a place like the UK or Malta? So mm. so many other things that we need to, we've only just scratched the surface. Um, so if you if you're up for it, I uh, would really yeah. like to talk to you um, uh, about the nitty gritty, as it were, if that's it, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name the names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We want some yeah. on people, man. <laughs> you want, you want, you want the...
1: Yeah, sure. There, there there are a lot of stories we, that you know. Um, Forty years is a long time, so it seems, um, and there have been some <laughs> notable stories and events that have happened that uh, kind of stick with you, you know. So yeah. Yeah. Anytime anytime.
2: Alrighty. Well that's a done deal then. You can't you can't escape us now. <laughs> uh, could I ever? Could I ever? <laughs> yeah. What about uh, yeah. Uh, um other people online, though, like Brian, I can see Brian's um, ugly mug there, and Gabriel, and and yeah. Sam uh, from France. Any? Have you guys got any questions you'd like to ask, or before we uh, sign off for the for the first episode of Paul Budden on Kid Talks? Oh, wow.
0: We <laughs> had uh, we had no questions come through at the moment, but uh, okay, you know anyone, all right, <laughs>
2: typing away. Yeah. Righty. Um, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, thanks again, Paul. Um, uh, Michael, maybe if you can um, talk with Paul and schedule another time in the next month or something like that. You know, yeah,
0: definitely, we can, can do that. And yeah, I, I want to hear the dirt about Kitamoto. And uh, what <laughs> the other side I'll, of Kinemoto
2: I'll, I'll probably never ever be able to come back to Japan if I tell yeah, you. What I think so. we, better, we better schedule another three sessions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think Gabriel's looking very excited already about hearing about <laughs> Kinemoto, so I'm sure he'll have something to say about that
2: as well. Yeah, too, right? Uh, yeah. all righty, okay. Well, I'll let you finish things off, Mike, and uh, thank you very much, Paul. All right, everyone, yeah, we'll, uh, have a good one.
0: Paul, thank you very much for, uh, yeah, for joining us for this KED Talks and thanks to all our patrons for joining in. Um, as uh, obviously we've just arranged with Paul, there will be some more talks coming up in the next month or so. Uh, the video of this will come up on YouTube, I guess, in a, in a week or two weeks. Uh, so, yeah, we hope you uh, enjoy it then. So thanks very much. Keep safe. Pleasure. And uh,
2: speak to yourself. soon. Right. Have up. a good one. Okay, don't forget the gravy. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas and all that bar humbug <laughs> shit. <mate. laughs> you don't <think> that? <laughs> <laughs> That's all right.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks everyone. Take care. 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 Bye bye. See you Paul. See everybody. Bye. Bye. See ya.